and he took me to one of the UCLA practices, and John Wooden was notorious, even after many years after retiring, of sitting in the stands and watching practices. And so this uh, university person that I knew introduced me uh, to him, and I sat in the bleachers and just listened to his stories. I asked him questions about leadership. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host, John Barsness. Transitioning a little bit to the people out there that would like to really dive in and and really pursue this type of leadership and values-based organization culture. Are there any people that you look towards as mentors, as thought leaders, as any books, resources? I, I guess, who do you admire? Yeah, I mean, I, I can go all the way back. My dad was an entrepreneur. He owned his own business. And unfortunately, we lost him early in, in, in much earlier in life than, than most are, are used to. I was a teenager when he died of cancer. But I, I will always vividly recall, he was not a man of many words, and, but he worked extremely hard and he was always, always available, not just to his family, but to others. And I remember often uh, hearing my mom and dad talk about the business. And my dad was so good hearted that oftentimes there were clients that couldn't pay. And he would just kind of hold the debt for him for a period of time. He didn't push hard to get some of the the, the receivables that he, he was owed. And my mom would get frustrated because that was our sole purpose or sole uh, form of, of income and revenue for the, for the household. And she would get frustrated and he'd say, listen, I understand, but they don't have the money. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do if they don't have the money. And fast forward to the last six, eight months of his life, and and he wasn't able to work um, because of the cancer, and he outsourced the the work that he was doing to another partner who wasn't uh, part of the business but was going to buy the business when my dad knew he wasn't likely to uh, survive. And we were at the funeral, and family and friends are there, and I'm sitting in the front with all the rest of the family, and I remember standing up at the end of the, the funeral and turning around, and this sanctuary was filled. And we both, you know, the family had a portion of it, but not nearly enough to fill up this this sanctuary. And I looked around, and I didn't know many of these people, and I couldn't figure out why they showed up. And like many funerals, there's a, a place for people to put a card in a basket. And we were at home a day or two later, and we're opening up the cards and we're getting ready to write thank you notes. And in many of these cards was a check. And we'd look at the name and we didn't recognize the name. And we would then, and then my mom got the idea to look at, at the balance sheet for my dad's business. And every one of the places that had owed him money paid 100%. And they showed up for that funeral. And it got me realizing that what my dad did probably wasn't the smartest business decision, if you think about it from that perspective, but his influence on these clients that could have easily said, you know what, we're just not going to now. There's no incentive to do so. They, they made good on what they owed. 
because it was more important to them to do the right thing for what my dad gave them, which was giving him the, them the runway that they didn't have the money at the time to pay his services, but they made good on it. The other thing that happened was the person that took over from my dad's business, um, it was written into the agreement that people had to stay for a period of time. Uh, and most of that revenue then, or at least a portion of it went to the, to our, our family. Um, and, they all had, I think it was a, a one or two year agreement that, that a portion of that revenue went to our family. To a person, they stayed for that entire period of time because they knew where that money was going. And I know that because they told us that. They said we wouldn't have stayed otherwise because we could have gone somewhere that was cheaper uh, and maybe we didn't like the person that was taking over the business at that time. But they did it for that sole purpose. And again, it was the legacy that he left. Um, and so that was where it really started for me. I didn't, I wouldn't have called it values-based leadership at that point. Uh, I didn't know anything about it. So that was probably the first part for me that I was able to uh, see the example lived out. And then as I've been in the professional world, um, a couple of, of, of opportunities, I think, to intersect with people who truly do live out their values I was very fortunate. I lived in Southern California at the time. I was very fortunate to have a connection at a university who um, had played for uh, John Wooden way back in, in the UCLA days. And he had an opportunity to introduce me. And, and he took me to one of the UCLA practices, and John Wooden was notorious, even after many years after retiring, of sitting in the stands and watching practices. And so this uh, university person that I knew introduced me uh, to him. And I sat in the bleachers and just listened to his stories. I asked him questions about leadership. I didn't ask him questions about basketball, although I, I um, very much enjoyed uh, the, the sport. But I asked him about leadership and about how he um, created environments with his teams to be successful. And it was always, you know, his, his uh, phrase is, is around success being about the journey uh, around it and being prepared for success. And it's not the end result. And he could have spent 10 minutes with us uh, and, and moved on. I spent over an hour in, in that in that conversation with somebody who is a giant in the industry, but also just a giant in terms of leadership. It's probably one of the most uh, powerful uh, experiences as a, as a young professional that I've had. And then more recently, as I really dove into values-based leadership, a leader uh, of an organization, um, this was five or six years ago now, maybe seven years ago, uh, uh, his name is Mark Fernandez, and he was with the Luck Companies out in Virginia. And they had created this this construction company that was all about their people, and they they had this values based leadership model. And I I was digging into this idea of values based leadership for the organization that I ran at the time, and wanted to be able to create an environment like this. And so I got connected with him through uh, a, a few people that I had reached out to, and they said, "You really need to talk to Mark." And so I reached out to him, and, and he said, you know, I'm going to be in Boston uh, and uh, speaking at an event. Uh, would you be able to to meet me out there? Otherwise, I'm going to be gone 
he was traveling a lot at that point in time, talking about this this model of, that they had for the organization. And it just so happened that I was going to be in Boston at the same time. And so he took this time where he could have easily flown right from speaking back to Virginia and on to the next place. He And I didn't know this at the time, uh, but he said, I'm going to take the time to... Uh, to to spend with this guy, he doesn't know me, didn't know me from anybody, and so we met for uh, for coffee the next morning. I didn't know that he stayed that night just to have the conversation with me. Um, he was scheduled to leave that night after the that after the conference that he was speaking at, and so we spent about two and a half three hours uh, in that morning unpacking what it meant to be a values based leader and and how you bring that to an organization. And I was always, I, I was, I was obviously impressed with what he did and what he believed. Um, so much so that I brought him into the organization uh, to be a, a consultant for a period of time, as he helped us kind of build this out in the organization I was leading. And so he was one that that helped me understand how you embed this into the organization. And as a leader, it's front and center. Again, it's not being perfect. You know, he used to say this all the time. It's not about being perfect in what you do. It is about being able to recognize and be authentic with who you are and what you're trying to accomplish as a leader. But it's also important to recognize that it's about being consistent with those things. So it doesn't matter what you necessarily believe, but it's about, as a leader, being authentic and genuine in your attempt to be the become the best version of yourself. And so he always talked about igniting the passion in people. Because when you did that, then you got the very best of who they were. And so those are the I think those three come to mind as I think about the journey that I've had uh, from early in life to my my early professional career to now towards the middle of that time and these three people who all took very different paths to their their leadership, um, and yet they all had the same mindset. Very different value sets. Didn't believe the same things that that each of them might have believed, uh, but they still exuded what that values based leadership looked like. And so I've taken all of that and and many many more. Uh, Mark Miller at Chick Fil A is another one that comes to mind. Um, and there are some iconic organizations that. They may call it something different than values-based organization, but their values are front and center. They, are, they make decisions based on those values, and good leaders recognize that. They recognize that their decisions or the decisions they don't make have a direct impact on how people understand what the values of an organization are. Um, John Maxwell says uh, that leaders, you know, organizations rise and fall in leadership. And I, and I 100% agree with that. Not because the leaders have to be uh, with these sparkling personalities uh, or it's not about, and, it's, and most of the really good leaders, it's not about them. It's about the organization. It's about the greater good. It's about what they're embedding into their organization. Uh, and oftentimes they are the last to speak up because they are allowing others to influence what it is that they are talking about. I think it's really interesting that you said that these the, the three people that you mentioned have different values, or they focused on different major values, 
but they were all successful in their own right. It just kind of makes me think that if you stay true and really stand firm in who you are, you'll attract the type of person that also thinks or values the same things that you do. And we don't all have to be the same. Your leadership style could be different from someone else's, but if they're genuine in their approach, they will attract the people that will support their vision and their style. And um, I think that's encouraging too, because there's all sorts of leadership styles out there. Um, what what haven't I asked yet that you'd like to talk on as far as core values, leadership? Well, I think industry, I think the the one know, message um, that I would consistently have uh, for organizations that I haven't who uh, want to maybe lead through asked their core values and their culture on. is to recognize well, think, that it's hard work. It is harder to lead through your values than it is any other way. As you just pointed out, there are a lot of different leadership styles. And organizations have different ways in which they, and things that they believe in. And so there is no, I don't, I've come to believe that while I believe certain things, and I believe that there is a right way to lead, it's all about the environment you create. So for example, I've worked in the financial industry as a consultant, and many financial industry uh, organizations have a very cutthroat environment. Not good or bad, just very cutthroat. You have to do certain things to be effective. It's all about the revenue and money, and and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. That's not the issue. Money isn't the issue. Making more money isn't the issue. Being a behemoth isn't the issue. It's how you surround yourself with the, with the like-minded people. You know, the the there there is this sometimes this mentality that if I am if I'm going to be successful, I have to do do it a certain way. And I just don't believe that. Now, I believe there are things that you should be treating people with respect. You should be treating people and doing the right things. But let's face it, there are many people and organizations out there that don't do those things. And by the world standards, they're successful. And so there's nothing wrong from that perspective in the sense that that organization to themselves probably believes what they're doing is right. Unfortunately, we're, we're a fallen people who make mistakes. And so we can get off the, that, that pathway to doing the right thing. And unfortunately, there are many people who have stumbled, whether they are religious leaders or presidents or CEOs of organizations who might have had the right intentions when they began and then fell off. They made small decisions that eroded their integrity and then they couldn't find their way back. And that's the hard, I think, reality of it when it comes to to leadership, where values-based leadership actually anchors you is to be very honest about what you actually believe. So I say this to, to leaders all the time because I get pushback when it comes to this. They think it's too fluffy. They think it's not real and tangible and you can't really lead this way. And I say, you don't have to. But it's one of the hardest things to do because it forces you as a leader to examine what you actually believe and then stay consistent with what you believe in the face of really difficult decisions or challenges when you fall down and you face plant. And we all do as leaders. We all make poor decisions. We, 
And oftentimes we make those decisions with the right intentions, but something gets goes off sideways. We might say, no, I'm never going to make that decision, whatever it is. I'm never going to take that business deal. I'm never going to compromise my integrity. And then we do. And it might not be in a big thing, might not be an Enron type of a, of a, of a, uh, a situation. But what about those situations where we tell just a little bit of a white lie? Did it hurt somebody? I don't know. Maybe not. But did we fall just a little bit? And I think that's from a values-based leadership perspective. It's not about making that mistake. It's about owning the mistake. It's about saying, you know what? I didn't stand up when I should have. Most leaders that I've coached over the years, me included, we don't regret the decisions we made. We, made, we, we regret the things that we didn't say, that we didn't stand up for. Uh, more so, more so than anything else, and I can I can picture those times in my life very vividly, where I knew I had the opportunity to stand in the gap for somebody else, or stand up for what I knew to be right, and because that was going to lead to some headwinds. This was early in my career, especially where I didn't think that I could get in front of the right people, or I couldn't get promoted because I stood for something that was fundamentally I just believed in. I look back now and go, man, I, w- I missed an opportunity. I missed an opportunity to hold true to who, what I believed. And some of it probably was I didn't really know what I believed at that time uh, or that I was just kind of floating in the wind with whatever was out there uh, with those leaders. And I think that's what you you have to understand is if you're going to go down this pathway from a, in a values-based organization is it's really hard. A story that that stands out more than more so than anything as I was working for uh, an organization and we were we were probably two and a half three years into creating the organization as a values based organization and I and we had a, a brand new CEO had been in the organization for quite a while risen the ranks and the year before was promoted to chief operating officer with the intention of taking over as CEO when the current CEO retired. And I was a part of that selection process, and I was in a unique position because I was the chief uh, HR officer for the organization. And so I had a chance to work with this individual for that entire year, helping him develop and grow, uh, learning about him because he was going to eventually be my new boss. And I thought that was such a blessing in, in, in many ways. And in his first year as CEO, the market just tanked. The, the industry we were in seized up pretty heavily, and we lost a lot of revenue in a very short period of time. Not unlike COVID, actually, last year in many ways. This was many years ago. And I remember sitting down with him, and he just, he said, John, I don't know how we're going to survive this without making massive cuts to the organization. And I said, you're probably right. And he said, but we do have this opportunity. We have this opportunity that may not be the best for our business, but it'll allow us to have revenue in the short term. And so he described it to me, and then he says, I'm going I'm to bring it to the leadership team, and I want to I talk about this. And he, and he said, but I'm bouncing it off of you first because you've been really pushing on the, on the leadership side from a values-based perspective. And I said, I appreciate that. And he says, so what do you think? And I said, listen, there are, there are times in our business that we're just going to have to make decisions that we may not fully like, but it's the best 
in the greater good for the organization, for the sustainability of our business. If we say that we don't want to cut as many headcounts as we as we likely will have to, if this continues, maybe this is the decision we have to make in the short term. What we have to do is be honest with people about why we're doing it. And so we talked about it as a leadership team, and we were probably split fairly evenly about whether we should or shouldn't do it. And at the end of the day, he had to make that decision. He could get all the input in the world from us, but he had to make that decision. He made the decision. We we decided not to take that revenue. He just felt like at the end of the day, it wasn't our core business. It wasn't even an area that we wanted to get into. And the client that we would have been supporting was a client that really didn't have a great reputation. And we didn't necessarily want to go down that path. And so we did. We ended up having to make some really difficult people decisions because we had to keep the lights on. You had to shrink down and survive like everybody, almost everybody else had to at that period of time because of the the recession. And one person he kept on was our senior sales leader uh, of the organization. Best man at his wedding, best friends since, you know, 20, 25 years together. And this leader wasn't necessarily bought into the values that we had as an organization that we agreed to that we thought was representative of the organization and it especially came out as we were trying to rebuild the organization go get the revenue in different places but that aligned with our strategic initiatives and so fast forward a year and we were still kind of hobbling along uh, improving but not at the pace that we really wanted to and all of a sudden we were getting reports that we were signing on contracts that were not in our wheelhouse, that we were over-promising and under-delivering. And we started digging in. And it happened to be that this VP of sales was not making the right decisions for the organization. He was pushing hard on his team to, to sign deals that were not good because he felt that the revenue was more important than doing the right things. And we got more and more reports of this. And so they bubbled up to me and I went into our CEO's office and, I, and we talked about this. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, this is really, this is not going to be good. And I said, no, it's not. And I said, but tell me why you don't think it's going to be good. And he, he initially started talking about the things and the ramifications in our business, in the customer engagement, in the morale of the people on the, on the sales team. And I said, okay, anything else? He goes, no, I think that's it. I said, what about our core values? And he goes, oh, I didn't even, he goes, man, I missed that. I should have, I really should have thought that first, right? And I said, well, it's not a matter of first, second, or third. It's just, you know, how does this play out to our core values? And I said, his team knows he's asking them to do things that don't align with who we are. And I said, so this is your first big test from a core values perspective. Because here's a person who has been very valuable to us. And by the way, he held a lot of really key relationships. Out the door, probably would have lost some of those relationships. In the midst of a, of a downturn, in the midst of a recession, in the midst of losing revenue, you're going to potentially lose your top sales leader. And he went home, and this was a Friday, and he went home and agonized over it. We exchanged text messages probably you know, half a dozen times, Saturday and Sunday. We came back in on Monday morning and I said, okay, so, you know, what are we going to do? We have to do something because this can't continue. And he goes, well, as much as I don't want to, we're going to have to 
make a decision to move on from this person. Mm. And again, keep in mind, this is a person he's known for 20 plus years. They were best men at their each other's weddings. They, they vacation together. They don't live all that far away from each other in the same uh, community. And so we called the person in. And I remember very vividly in that moment that tears streaming down the CEO's face and having to tell this person that he loved him to death, but he could no longer work there anymore because he wasn't living out the core values. And that's when it comes to reality. So I share that story often with leaders who are thinking about going down this path because that's what you have to think about. Because at the end of the day, this CEO could have easily said, well, I'm just not going to make that decision. I care too deeply for him. I don't want to make that tough decision. There are big business ramifications if I make this decision. And he could have easily done that. Many CEOs would have. But he would have lost the 10,000 employees that we had in that organization. To a person, the vast majority of them would have said, okay, so it's okay for him to not live out our core values, but you're going to expect me to. And our values-based organization would have crumbled. We might have survived, but as a values-based organization, we wouldn't have. And that's the message that we all have to have as senior leaders at some point. And then as leaders across the organization, because at some point you're going to hit that crossroads. It's inevitable that you're going to have to make a decision that on the face of it is really, really painful, whether that's related to a person or your business, to either stand for your values and what you say you believe or make the easier decision, which is to not make that decision based on those values. And I think that's the hardest part when you're leading it through your values because it does impact things. It's not easy to do. Yeah. That's an amazing story. What was the, because of maintaining the integrity of those values, how did that organization respond? Did they, did they come out stronger from the other, on the other side of the recession? Yeah. The good news is, I mean, this is a, this is one of those stories that in the long term we did in the short term, we did lose some clients. There were some people that were very, very loyal to him from a client perspective and he took them with him. We had non-competes in place and we had some of those types of things. But at the end of the day, we fought some of them. We won some of them. We lost some of them. At the end of the day, the relationships went with him. And so we did. We took a dip again because of that. We also had this long ramp up period to hire the next senior sales leader in the organization. So in the short term, it was painful. It was not easy. And we asked a lot of people to step up and do things that they weren't equipped to do at that point to step in the gap. But in the long run, it was beneficial to us because what the, the decisions he made for in our organization, he inevitably made with those clients. And a few of them came back to us and said, we'd like to work with you again. And so today they're uh, a multi-billion dollar company and global operations who not only made it through that recession, but are thriving again, have withheld, withstood uh, other ups and downs in the industry over the last eight, nine years since that period of time. So in the long run, it was, it was the right thing. And the vast majority of companies who believe that their values and their culture matter probably have stories just like that in, in, in ways in which in the short term, it was going to be difficult. And I think this is the other message for leaders and organizations who are thinking about going down this pathway. 
is just because you make the right decision and hold to your values doesn't mean that you're going to come out of this thing smelling great every step of the way. You're likely going to have some repercussions from a business perspective and even from a morale perspective in some ways for those people in the organization who are more loyal to or don't fully align with the values in the organization. And it's going to cause you some more bumps in the short term. That's just, in, that's just the way this works sometimes. And so I think it's important for people to understand that. That's why it's really important to come with your eyes wide open about what it looks like to lead this way. Because not everybody's going to, by the way. We have an organization of 100-plus employees here, and again, medium-sized company growing uh, every day. Not everybody's fully aligned with our values here. We'd be naive to think that they were. What we have to do is make sure that everybody on our senior leadership team and everybody on our management team is because that's what matters to help it become real in the organization. You mentioned earlier that if you have these core values and you don't have to be all alike, personalities are different, backgrounds are different, that's a good thing. But you all have to believe fully in the core values and what they represent and what they stand for. That is especially true at your ownership level, at your senior leadership level, at your management level, because you are what you attract. If I cut corners, if I, ex if I allow mediocrity, who do you think I'm going to attract on my team? More people that cut corners, more people that are okay with mediocrity. But if I have really high standards, both in the behaviors and the performance, who do you think I'm going to attract? Those are people who get excited by being a part of a team like that. And that's the way it is with, with every organization. So again, you're never going to be 100%. But I don't need some of the individual contributors in the organization to be 100% in lockstep. What they need to be is not the opposite of that. And I know in a, in a future show, we're going to talk about some of the, the things that we use, tools and other things to help us uh, kind of enhance our decision-making around these core values. And that's important. We do that at uh, all steps of our organization, not just for our senior people. But it starts there because if, you're, if your people who are really influencing the organization aren't bought in, you need to move quickly to either get them on board or get them off the ship because they'll take you down. Say you're in a billion-dollar company. Senior leadership isn't bought in on core values. You're a mid-level manager. Will it work to instill your own core values at a mid-level and have those trickle down to your team? Do you think that's... And then if there's another mid-level manager that has their own core values and trickles down to their team, can that work as far as implementing core values within a company like like multiple core values within a company can it work yes will it be effective consistently and will you have a culture around your core values probably not and the reality is that mid mid-level manager whether it's a billion multi-billion dollar company or a uh, a 10 million dollar company is going to struggle because they still have to influence up. And if the, if influencing up isn't resonating with those core values, 
they're going to have a hard time because they can only go as far as that leader above them mm. from an influence standpoint, right? Because I can't go around that senior leader effectively anyway without either throwing them under the bus, even unintentionally, and the people below that are looking to me for leadership, they're going to see it pretty well. They're going to see it and go, yeah, okay, I love my manager. How many times have you heard this in organizations? I stay because of my team. I stay because of my manager. But I don't really like the senior leaders. I don't even know who they are. That's dangerous. Mm. And, and it's usually not very effective because there's a ceiling then. And so that's why I say if you're going to be a, a values-based organization, it needs to be consistent at that senior leadership level because that's where your influence has to start if it's not otherwise you're never going to get there and i've been some uh, in some organizations as a consultant where the leadership where a leader usually a very senior leader meaning a ceo or somebody like that wants to go down this path and the very first thing that i do and i learned this from mark fernandez by the way the very first thing i do is say well that's great i'll have a conversation with you but i'm going to also have the conversation with all of your leaders and you lay out what I just did and, and share some of those examples. And if your team isn't fully bought into that as a senior leader, your leadership team isn't bought into that, I always tell those CEOs and COOs who really want to go down this path, if that's the choice you're going to make, then you need to replace and find people who buy into it. Because if you have just one, you're going to torpedo this thing. Mm -hmm. Because it's just the way, because that senior leader who let's say they oversee all of your IT in an organization. So they're their, your chief information officer. And they have a whole team underneath them, both managers and then supervisors and then individual contributors. And let's use the example of a multi-billion dollar organization. Their IT department probably has thousands of employees just in that one department. And if your CIO is not in lockstep with the rest of the leadership team on those values, even if they say they are, and again, that happens often, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. This is good. I love this. But then every decision they make is counter to that. You have an entire part of your organization who, even if they believe it at the very low levels of that part of that organization, it never goes anywhere because they're constantly being fought on that influence level. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes a challenge. And by the way, that happens more times than you care to believe. However, look at some of the organizations out there like a Southwest Airlines like a Chick-fil-A, you know, name any of these that are, are values-based organizations, organization, Starbucks, you know, any of those, their vast majority of people will believe that because, again, you attract what you're like. So if I can do that at a, at a senior level and all my managers can do that, we're going to build a company that's built around that. Again, they don't have to be like-minded. We have this conversation here at FCP often. Well, I don't want to hire people just like me. I want people better than me. And I, again, don't disagree with it, but I need you to understand that they have to be people that align with our core values, especially if they sit in an or a part of the organization that has a, a great amount of influence. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that as our organization continues to grow fast, we have to make sure that we are taking the time to not just hire a body or not just hire a skill that they align with our organization because as a medium-sized organization that has a hundred some employees in it, 
one person can really have an outsized influence where sometimes you can hide that a little bit in your billion dollar companies, especially if they're at the middle level. Um, that sometimes doesn't always have the worst effect, um, but there, it's eventually going to. It's going to erode something, mm-hmm. and and then you start spider webbing that. Yeah. Well, John, it was um, great information, great stories, and really appreciate, and I'm sure the audience appreciates the insights and uh, the wisdom. What What's one thing that anybody could go do right now that would like give us a homework assignment as far as something actionable doesn't have to be huge just one simple thing that we could go do today this week that would move us in a direction towards a stronger value-based company or family or leadership or whatever i think it has to start with a very honest assessment for yourself of what you actually value yourself So whether you're an individual contributor at a massive organization today and you happen to be listening to this, whether you're a supervisor at at an organization and you have two levels above you of management, um, as an individual, you need to to become very clear about what it is that are your core values. And the core values are those things that do not waver, that if you're going to hold firm, it's going to be to those things. They don't have to be a lot. They could only be one, maybe. I don't know what that is for every individual. But that's where you have to get real. And and I would say this, for a manager of people, whether that, again, whether that is a head of a household, whether that is a two-man shop for a business, whether that is a team of 50, that's going to be a place that you need to start as a leader, is to recognize what it is that I actually believe. And this is where I go back to if, if money is important to you, if making money is important to you, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But you can't align yourself in an organization where that's not the primary driver. That's not the primary motivator in that organization because you're going to find yourself out of step with what matters to that organization. Likewise, if you are somebody who wants to be part of something that's bigger than yourself and you want to build relationships and you want to have a, a bigger sized influence in an organization and the only thing they care about is the bottom line and making money, you're also going to be outside of the norm in that organization and you're likely not going to be all that happy. And so I think that's the one thing that people I would suggest to people is regardless of whether your organization is truly a values-based organization or not, it's really understanding what it is that you value. And keep in mind that could, some of these things could change what you, they may change over time. I would argue that in some cases the core values don't. What you emphasize, depending upon where you are in your life, might be different. Early in my career, I was a terrible manager. Like, I was brutally bad. I thought I was really good, and I was successful beyond measure in many ways based on what my organization thought of success individually. And my team performed well, but it wasn't because they were bought in. They were more terrified than anything. They didn't want to lose their job, and I drove the results. 
I don't say that to say, hey, I was proud of myself there because when I look back on it now, I wasn't. I was not a good leader. People didn't want to work for me. Whenever I had openings on our uh, on my team, I didn't have people going, hey, that guy's really performing well. I want to join that team. They went, uh, no, not going to take that job because that guy's a tool. So that that ended up, but I had to start to recognize what did I really value? And what I what I had to realize was I was chasing something at that point in my career that was all superficial. It wasn't bad in and of itself. Promotions, more money. That wasn't that wasn't all bad. How I was going about doing it was I was running people over. I had exceedingly high expectations, just as I do today. But how I demonstrated those both to my team and how I saw those living out were very different than they are today. And so I would look back now and say, my core values are the same as they are today. Exceedingly high expectations, wanting to do the right thing, caring deeply about people, by the way, which is what I did then. Unfortunately, I cared more about myself than I did about the people around me. And I saw that as if you just do what I ask you to do, we're all going to win. Instead, now it's how can I serve you differently? How can I help you succeed? Because when you succeed, then I succeed. And I get more enjoyment out of watching people thrive, both in my organization and anywhere I can help them be successful than I ever have. And, and yet, when I look back now, I'm making more money than I've ever made in many cases. And it's not about the money. It's about being able to be successful, but I've defined success differently. But my core values are really the same thing. And I go all the way back to, I learned those from my parents. And I was blessed to have two parents who taught me what it meant to work hard, what it meant to be accountable, what it meant to care about people. And in both of their cases, they weren't big on talk. We didn't sit around the table and talk about those things, but I saw it every single day. And so those things are still core to me. They were core to me when I was a jerk, (laughs) you know, and and that's the irony of it sometimes is that I was not demonstrating the things that I truly cared about. It was showing up in a negative way. Um, So that's where I would tell people that one homework assignment is go and decide what it is that really matters to you and then fight for it. Fight for it in in your role that you play in your organization. Ensure that if it's not the right fit, that you find the right fit because that's going to be critical for you in any plans that you have. You're never going to change that. You know, from a relationship standpoint, I've been blessed to be married for uh, 18 years. And if I would have gone into to my marriage with the intent that I need that somehow that person that I love de- dearly needed to change and I needed to change that person, we wouldn't have been married for 18 years. We had to recognize where we were broken, where we were always going to be broken, and yet how do we do that together? And But where we aligned were those core things, how we were going to raise our family, what was most important to us. Those things were pure for both of us all the way through. And I think that's part of it too as a manager is I can say, yeah, I want people on my team to do X, Y, and Z. But if they don't have that part of them in terms of behavior, it's going to be very different. I can teach anybody skill. I can't teach you those core values. I just can't. 
It's who you are. James often talks about that in our organization when it comes to our core value of drive. One of the descriptors of that is to have this internal desire to just excel. I'm a firm believer that you can't teach that. I can teach you behaviors if you, if you have that internal desire, but you don't know how to accomplish it. But I can't teach you to care. That's not something I can do. If you really don't want to push yourself and drive hard and work and fail and get up and do it again and learn, I can't teach that. And I've, tr- I've long ago decided that that's not worth trying to. Now, there are some out there that will say, no, John, you're wrong. You can teach that. More power to you. I hope that you can. Maybe I just don't have that skill set to do so, and I've just learned. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to try and do that. Then I don't know. I just know from my own experience that's not going to happen. Last question, and then we can wrap things up. But how does somebody? Is there a process? Is there certain questions that we can ask ourselves? How do we distill down? to all of our interests, all of the things that we hold dear, what's core? It's a great question. I think that the simplest answer is to think about those things when you think about your interests, when you think about how you want to be treated, when you think about what you're passionate about. It's answering the question, why am I passionate about that? Good or bad. You know, some of those things, we live in a very divisive world today, as an example. Do I really care that deeply about those things that are dividing us? Or am I just living that because that's what's the noise around me? Unfortunately, a few weeks ago, we saw this horrendous visual on the 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 things that happened in our capital and not to go political on people here but i think it's a really this is to that question how many people that were there fully went you know i'm all in i'm going to do whatever it takes to overthrow and change the determination of our country and how many just got caught up but in their core they went yeah that's not me that's not what i intended that's how you determine what's really core to you. I also say this, if it is something that you can't live with yourself in making that decision, when I lay down at night, if I close my eyes and I'm stark up in the middle of the night because something's gnawing at me, it means something to you. Whether it's how somebody treated you or how you treated somebody else or a decision that was made around you, those are the things that you have to ask yourself on. As a parent, I would, I would put it in that lens. Would I want my son to be a part of that? Would I, would I be okay if he saw what I did? Use a very simple example. How many times have you raised your middle finger, unfortunately, when, you, when somebody drove by and pissed you off in a car, right? Well, as a, as a non-parent early in my career and in my life, I probably did that and didn't even think about it. And even afterwards, didn't really go, ooh, that was probably not the smartest thing in the world to do. The moment I became a father and the moment I had this little boy sitting in the back seat and the minute I did that, and by the way, I did, unfortunately, or I cussed somebody out, 
that couldn't even hear or see me in the car. There I am looking in the rearview mirror and there's this kid that doesn't have a clue what I just did, but it's in, it's ingrained there. And if I do that over and over again, if I repeat that behavior over and over again, guess who's going to do that when he's sitting in the passenger seat in my car, he's going to do it because where did he see it? He saw it from me. And so if I ask that question, what do, what do I care about the most? What is core to me? Is that behavior something that I would want to do? If you're not a parent, think about your grandparents. Would you want your grandma seeing or see, saying, hearing what you're doing or saying? Those are things that usually can get us to the core of, of what we actually believe and how we want to be perceived by people. That's not easy stuff. And you have to be willing to really be honest about it because we can all placate it and say, oh, no, I would never do that. But again, use the basic example of being in the car and getting mad and doing something. That's most of us would say, no, I don't really I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to be known as that. But we still do it. And it's not about necessarily what we just did. It's can we recognize it and go, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. So how do I help myself not do those types of things? Because that behavior will lead itself to any interactions we have. Well said. The car example hits home for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, thanks so much for uh, for all that you've shared today. And um, any anything to wrap up here? No, I I would encourage anybody who wants to be a, go down this path, either as a leader or as a leader of an organization, reach out to us here at FCP Services. We're happy to help any way that we can. If you're looking for an opportunity to join an organization that's values-based, check us out as well. We've got opportunities, um, but we're here to help. We're here to serve. We believe firmly in this. It's not right for everybody, but if it is right for you, then we want to be able to help you do that on this journey. Right on. All right. Well, until next time, John, see ya. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time. Remember, people drive growth.